Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics. This House stands adjourned until Monday, September 18th. Speculation of a summer cabinet shuffle and more talks on a public inquiry into foreign interference. A look at the latest headlines with our panel of political observers. Culture change, recruitment, and calls for massive reform. The RCMP faces a long list of challenges. A conversation with the force's new commissioner, Mike Duhem. And the new Brunswick premier faces a leadership challenge from inside his party. Will Blaine Higgs survive? We hear from an MLA who quit the Higgs cabinet, Dominic Cardi. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, I'm Andrew Thompson, in for Michael Serapio. The House of Commons has risen for the summer break with more talks on a foreign interference inquiry and with talk of a possible cabinet shuffle. So let's bring in our panel of political observers to debate and dissect. Susan Smith is a principal with Blue Sky Strategy Group. Josie Sabatino is a senior consultant with Summa Strategies. And Kim Wright is principal with Wright Strategies. Hello to all three of you. Andrew. Hi, Andrew. So we have some signals going out to the media that a cabinet shuffle is in the cards this summer. So, Susan, I want you to start us off. If reporters are going to be outside Rideau Hall shortly for a swearing-in ceremony, what Liberals uh, are you expecting to see pulling up at the front door or perhaps not pulling up? I definitely think there'll be a cabinet shuffle this summer, Andrew. There's no question. This is sort of the last year, the last runway before the federal election, whenever it may be. I think there, the prime minister has already been checking in to see who may be running, who may not be running again. And that's an important opportunity to put new people in new positions, give them some time to learn this summer. So who do I expect to see? I think it would be interesting to see uh, George Shahal the MP for Calgary Skyview and the only Liberal MP in Calgary um, make it to Cabinet. I think it might be interesting if Terry Duguid, if Minister Vandal from Doesn't Run Again, Terry Duguid came in. Maybe Charles Souza, who was the former uh, Ontario Finance Minister. I see him potentially making Cabinet, for example, if Minister Bennett doesn't run again. Carolyn Bennett has had a long career in politics. You may see Minister McCauley uh, retire. So that would be a new face from Prince Edward Island. I'm just trying to think, oh, and Joyce Murray from BC. I fully expect her to be moved, certainly moved from where she is. And I think it's inevitable that Marco Mendicino gets a new job of some sort after uh, a cabinet shuffle. Right. And Josie, certainly conservatives have been calling for uh, Mr. Mendicino's uh, resignation. So that is a possibility. Uh, how do you see a cabinet shakeup playing out? What are you going to be looking at? Well, I certainly don't think we'll see that car with Marco Medancino rolling um, up to Rideau Hall anytime soon, especially after, you know, watching him run through the halls of Parliament and have media chase after him last week. But I think the big thing we'll be watching as we head into the summer months is whether the government's serious about doing a hard reset. And I think after kind of the disastrous couple of months they've had in Parliament, they really have to think about who they want to position as their front bench heading into a potential election you know, we're not that far away. It could happen, you know, within the next several months. So I think we'll be looking to see whether that finance portfolio is up for grabs and whether some of those big hitters like Anita Anand and 
uh, the industry minister are positioned to kind of move into some of those higher portfolios um, heading into a potential cabinet shuffle. All right, Kim, let me hear from you. Who are some names you would expect to see uh, either elevated or relegated in the next few weeks? Look, if I were Mary Ng, I'd be sending Marco Mendicino a whole bouquet of flowers and maybe a bottle of wine because he has certainly taken the heat off of her uh, ill-advised uh, performance uh, over the last several months. Uh, but definitely Marco Mendicino is going to have to be out. There's going to be have to be that political head on a pipe in particular for the Bernardo affair and the lack of movement. Uh, I would also say that Bill Blair is probably also well overdue to be uh, pushed out of cabinet. Uh, if you look at the Johnston report, that the fact that, you know, he couldn't figure out his email portals, that's not exactly instilling confidence in a government. Uh, there will certainly be lots of other questions as to whether or not uh, Minister Boissonneau gets a promotion. He has certainly been out doing the heavy hitting for this government uh, and is probably in line for a promotion. Uh, but this does need to be a bit of a reset for them if they are going to look to show that they learned any lessons from the disasters that we've seen over the last few months. Again, Mary Ng, uh, Minister Pascal and the Hockey Canada saga, uh, and how those things have unfolded. You can't just give it all to Christian Freeland and hope that it all works out. That's just not how this is going to work. Okay, let's turn to uh, another story that continues to be a big story this week, which is foreign interference and the talks between the government and the opposition parties uh, unfolding on what a public inquiry might look like. Uh, conservatives are telling the government, call a public inquiry and then we'll suggest names and terms of reference. This is a, a bit of a different approach than uh, what the other opposition parties are doing. So Josie, why do you think Mr. Poiliev has chosen that as his posture? Well, I think it's important to note that it's not just Mr. Poliev who's called for uh, public inquiry. It's all party leaders with the exception of Justin Trudeau. So I think, you know, reiterating that he wants to hear those words from the government side before, you know, we do all this work that you may shoot down is a fair place for them to start at. And it's important to not get lost in this, that there has been months wasted. The government has spent the entire spring session avoiding calling that public inquiry. So I really think in order to get all parties on side and they've agreed to do the work, the government has to start by saying, you know, we are taking this seriously and we are ready to call this public inquiry and let's all get to work. And I think that's the important next step that needs to come um, in the coming days. Okay, well, Kim, I'll get you to weigh in next because again, we do have this uh, different approach between what the Conservatives have said, what the Bloc Québécois put forward and what Jagmeet Singh uh, and the NDP has been saying publicly, at least, uh, about a public inquiry. What's your sense of how the opposition leaders uh, have been handling this? Well, Jagmeet Singh has been saying publicly, privately, and everywhere in between that there needs to be a comprehensive public inquiry that looks at all of the foreign interference actors, not just China, although that is the most pressing, but what has rushed been up to other actors. And what is the government doing about that? He's been very consistent from the beginning. So uh, he has been open and willing uh, to have those discussions, to move those forward, because Canadians deserve the answer. Parliamentarians need to know what, what is being done to protect their safety as well as the safety of our, of our elections. And I think everyone on this panel can agree that this whole uh, charade of whether we'd call it an inquiry or not has gone on far too long. 
you know, this could have been done and over with by now practically, but here the government has continued to drag its feet uh, and not doing proper vetting. This has been such an unforced error that I think that, you know, as I said, New Democrats have been very clear. They want a public inquiry and Canadians deserve one. All right, Susan, what are your thoughts on this in terms of uh, the government's perspective and the government's timeline of how they've been uh, talking to the opposition and putting the onus on the opposition last week and this week? Well, there was there were stumbles, obviously, at the outset on this. There's no question. But the government has signaled that it will sit down with the opposition and, and negotiate the terms and, and, the, and the people who will be part of the go-forward uh, process on this. And three out of the four parties are participating. The, the bloc is at the table, the NDP are at the table, the Liberals at the table, and the Conservatives are grandstanding again. So if Pierre Foliev is super serious about wanting to get something done, then he should sit down at the table and have the conversation and move so that the terms of reference can be decided and, and, and um, a process can be put in place. I heard Minister LeBlanc at a news conference say, uh, you know, this is working in terms of making moving ahead because it's not being negotiated in public. And Pierre Polyev, as he usually does, wants to go public, pound on a table and think he can get a result. And, uh, you know, one one sooner or later, he's going to have to act like a grown up or send an emissary who can act like a grown up so that the things can be discussed in a normal way, that they can get someone significant to come forward who will be treated with respect and dignity and not excoriated in the political process as we get to a response and we can reassert and reaffirm Canadians' confidence in our democratic system. There's no question, all the parties agree that there was no impact on the last election, but there's been some nonsense going on from a foreign interference perspective. We need to get to the bottom of it, but the nonsense has to stop on the opposition side, get down to brass tacks, get it done, and get, get the process rolling. Okay, we have a moment left, and I want to finish on a different kind of cross-party encounter this week. That was in Nova Scotia, Justin Trudeau and Brian Mulroney, who offered praise for the current Prime Minister for the handling of COVID and for renegotiating free trade. Let's have a listen. And I saw the big decisions he had to take at crucial moments. And I saw the end result of this incredibly challenging negotiation. The end result was a significant victory for Canada, and it is due to the leadership that we saw from the government of Canada on this most important occasion. All right, so Josie, let me go to you, because Mr. Mulroney also said that uh, trivia and trash comments about uh, Prime Minister Trudeau will be forgotten to history. Uh, what do you think Conservatives uh, should think about what we heard from Brian Mulroney? Well, it's important to note that in the last election, and despite the nice words from Mr. Mulroney, he did not endorse Justin Trudeau. He endorsed Aaron O'Toole. But I do think at the end of the day, he is a statesman. Uh, there's a lot of division in politics right now. And we can have these cross-partisan conversations where we do acknowledge the good works of our prime minister. I mean, I think that's something that all MPs can agree on. And while we may have our differences day to day, we want to acknowledge the important roles that our prime ministers play and the role that they will have in history. And, you know, we may not like everything that happens, but um, Mr. Trudeau does have a role in that history. And I think that's what Mr. Mulroney was acknowledging. All right, Susan, quick word from you on this. Uh, Brian Mulroney is a statesman. It's nice to see him there. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, and he was gracious, I think, in, in his comments to Prime Minister Trudeau, and he was right. Uh, the pandemic was the toughest thing 
any prime minister has faced in this country in 156 years, and he tackled it and in hand in hand with the premiers, talked about NAFTA. And Justin Trudeau did something very interesting in the NAFTA negotiations. He brought former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, a conservative, to a federal cabinet meeting, a liberal cabinet meeting, so that the whole country could benefit from the advice and the perspective. <clears throat> I think it is quite telling that Mr. Mulroney did not men mention Mr. Polyev. He endorsed Mr. O'Toole in the last election. He could have used his pulpit as an opportunity to boost Mr. Polyev. He chose not to. He didn't say anything too negative about him, but not saying anything at all is kind of the same thing. All right, so Kim, I think that that's where Brian Mulroney's vote will be the next time. All right, Kim, a very last, uh, very quick last word to you on this, uh, the significance of that. Look, I'm happy to see Brian Mulroney up and around and giving speeches. It's, it, it is always heartwarming to see. But his biggest legacy uh, is on free trade. So it's unsurprising to see him, you know, happy that, that, that those trade agreements have been renewed. Uh, you look at Brian Mulroney and the things that he has done around free trade, acid rain reduction, uh, and in apartheid, those things are his legacy. He's also been very critical of the government about not living up to their NATO obligations. So uh, sometimes politics can actually say nice things. Politics can be good uh, cross-partisan. It's not a bad thing. People should take that time over the summer, uh, over the barbecue circuit, to uh, to talk to some of their colleagues across the political aisle. All right. Well, one nice thing I'll say to you is thank you all, three of you, for your time, Susan, Josie, and Kim. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. In recent months, the RCMP has faced calls for culture change, faced continuing legal action alleging harassment inside the force, and faced a scathing report on the Nova Scotia mass shooting. And it's all happening with a switch at the top. Brenda Lucky's retirement and Mike Duan's appointment as the RCMP's 25th commissioner. And RCMP Commissioner Mike Duhem is with me now. Commissioner, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Andrew, uh, thanks for having me. Now, at your swearing-in ceremony, you said the RCMP is moving forward on building a modern, inclusive and diverse police organization. But the, fo uh, the force is also facing a $1.1 billion class action lawsuit for allegedly failing to stop workplace harassment. It's not the only legal action on this that's arisen in recent years. So since you've taken over as commissioner, what are the specific changes you've made in terms of moving forward with culture change? So thanks for the question, Andrew. Um, I, I will highlight that this year the RCMP is celebrating its 150th anniversary. And I'm saying this because it's important to acknowledge um, our storied past and, and let's never forget that and learn from that. And, and from there, uh, let's see where we're at today and where we want to go. So at the change of command, I did say that, that we have to work on culture. And the culture part is, is, is I'm the leader of this organization and there's strong expectation that uh, it's, it's a collective effort with every employee that we have in this organization. We have to hold each other accountable to our core values. And uh, I will, if you listen to the change of command, we've renewed our core values and uh, it is everyone's responsibility to make sure that we adhere to them and, and we hold people accountable to them. And that's the only way we're gonna change. We're 30,000 plus employees in this organization. So it, it, it takes a while before you can ship. You can, you, you can turn that big ship around, but uh, honestly, it's, it's gotta be a collective effort and that's where we're gonna be going. Okay, and, and certainly the RCMP culture was uh, a big aspect of the Mass Casualty Commission's work in their final report. Now, last month, the Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino said he had a very direct 
conversation with you about implementing MCC recommendations. 75 of those do deal with the RCMP and policing, uh, and their call for a fundamental change to the RCMP's management culture. Uh, can you give us an update on implementing some of those specific recommendations? Yeah, Andrew. Uh, so one of the things that came out of the Mass Casualty Commission, one of the recommendations and, and one of the shortcomings that we've had in as, as an organization is anytime there was an inquiry or report that came out, we would muster a team up together and, and address the recommendations and roll them out, change a policy. But then there's, we, there is lacking the follow up process that was involved with any review or any recommendations. So we did set up a, a new unit called Reform and Accountability. Uh, that's uh, sole responsibility is really to drive forward the recommendations that have come out from the mass casualty. But not only that, it's also to tie links with other recommendations that were made, other reports that were made to ensure that we put in place what needs to be put in place, but we also ensure there's a follow-up process built in so that year after year we can review what's been put in place to make sure it's still there. Okay, so then can you give, uh, I guess, more detail on on what your time frame is for for these recommendations and how the public's going to know what's actually being implemented and what's being ruled out. Yeah, so so out of the report, uh, Minister Mendicino mentioned 75. There's 52 that directly apply to, to, to us in the sense that we can lead on them. There's others that we're involved with and uh, we will work with other key partners. And uh, they, the, uh, the, the way forward was presented to the Senior Executive Committee of the RCMP last week. Uh, and there is a plan to go forward. And I've also committed that as we move forward, we will have, a note, uh, we will have a, an outward-facing website in which the general public can follow and track uh, what we're actually doing. Now, one of the calls for action from the MCC that got a lot of, attack, uh, a lot of attention involved the RCMP Act and a uh, suggestion that written directions to the RCMP from the minister should be tabled in Parliament and that there should be more clearly defined roles for the minister and for you as commissioner. Have you and the government talked about putting these measures into practice since that report has come out? No, no, we haven't directly talked about these measures, but that's going to be part of the future discussions as we go through the recommendations. Okay. Uh, now, another aspect from the commission uh, saying that in their words, the RCMP needs to adopt a policy of admitting its mistakes and being more accountable. Are you committed to that as leader of the force? Yeah, I am, Andrew. And and, and like I said, I, I did say during uh, during the press conference where, where I feel sorry for the family in the sense that uh, our role is to ensure the safety of the public. And, and on that specific day, on a tragic incident, one of the worst in Canadian history, uh, we weren't up to the task. All right, I want to shift to another matter, which is staffing and recruitment. You've identified uh, that as a top priority. Uh, the government has said it wants a modernized process for recruiting. Uh, they would like to see more Indigenous and Black officers in uniform. I know that's been part of the government's mandate letter to the RCMP commissioner. What is your plan for actually making that happen? So recruiting, uh, Andrew, uh, is is uh, is a challenge. Uh, you've you've read about it in the newspaper. Uh, I'll be honest. There's less and less people interested or attracted to police work, and we have to do a better job at marketing the RCMP and what we have to provide. We have a lot to provide that other organizations don't. 
Uh, the, there is, uh, we, we just put together the commanding officers of each of the province have come together and a propose, uh, have submitted, are submitting a proposal on how we can better our recruiting and, and whatnot. So I'm expecting that next week and then we can look at a, a robust plan how we get people in because I'll be honest with you, we're competing with other law enforcement across the country and everything from the timeline from the person applies to the organization to the get to depot. Uh, that's got to be reviewed as well because our timeline's a little longer than other police organizations, and we got to be in a competitive market to make sure we get people in, the right people in, uh, in the door to depot and on the streets. Well, in the same vein, the Mass Casualty Commission had called, as you know, for a change to officer training, including the closure of that uh, training depot in Regina. Uh, do you have any more to say at this point on the future of that program? No, I think before you close anything, you have to make sure you have something that's going to be there to replace it. So those are going to be part of the discussions, as I mentioned earlier, as we go through the recommendations with public safety and other key partners. They're things that we'll be looking at. All right. In the time we have left, I want to finish with a couple questions on foreign interference uh, and your recent committee testimony. You said the alleged Chinese policing activity inside Canada has been shut down. Can you update where the overall investigation now stands on that? Yeah, Andrew, I, I said early on that we've taken an aggressive approach when this came to our attention. Uh, we, we went to the sites uh, that we identified. We entered, uh, communicated with the community, encouraged community people to come forward and, and, and share with us their experience. Uh, we do have several investigations on the go, and of course, these are on the go, so I'm not at liberty to discuss. But again, we encourage people to come forward and, and, and share their experience if, they, if they've been victimized. Okay, uh, one last question for you then. The last federal budget pledged about $50 million over the next three years for the RCMP to fight foreign interference. What will that funding be used for, and has it actually rolled out yet? There, we, the, the funding will be used on many fronts, Andrew. It will be used from uh, increasing capacity for investigators. Uh, the analytic portion of any uh, criminal investigation is very important. Uh, updating the secure environment in which we're operating in and, uh, and whatnot. So it's going to be used on several fronts, and it also touches uh, on the training aspect as well, if my memory serves me right. Okay. RCMP Commissioner Mike Duham, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Now to New Brunswick and a push to remove Premier Blaine Higgs as provincial Conservative leader. A majority of Riding Association presidents want a leadership review. This follows pushback on changes to the province's Policy 713 on LGBTQ students and Dorothy Shepard quitting Cabinet last week over the Premier's leadership style. Let's bring in Dominic Cardi, who resigned from the Higgs government last autumn. He's now an independent MLA. Mr. Cardi, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate the chance to chat. All right. So what is your view on this grassroots challenge to the premier from within the progressive conservative party? Well, it's been brewing for a while. There have been concerns over the premier's increasingly autocratic style, the way in which caucus uh, has been completely sidelined, cabinet uh, often not consulted on important decisions. I can say that without breaking cabinet confidence, but last year there was the, we saw our elected health boards being abolished without any discussion with cabinet at all. So I can talk about things that didn't get discussed at cabinet. That was one of a long list of uh, efforts that the premier has made to centralize power in his office. He has hired and fired senior civil servants. He's now started hiring and firing mid-level senior servants. 
totally inappropriate. So there's been that consolidation of power coupled with, uh, over the last year, an increasingly difficult style with the, just in the way he engages people personally. And more worryingly recently, a real abandonment of the progressive conservative party's constitution and values as he started to move quite quickly towards uh, a more American Republican style right wing populism, which goes totally against the platform he was elected on in both 2018 and 2020. And I think is really causing concern to a lot of progressive conservatives in New Brunswick that we feel a little bit like it's 2015 and in the American Republican Party, we can see Donald Trump walking down those staircases, the, the golden escalator and realizing now that it's our responsibility to make sure that that the sort of uh, horrors that we've seen in that party aren't repeated here in the east coast of Canada. You wrote a letter of your own when you resigned as education minister, uh, similar to Dorothy Shepard's uh, letter from 2021. You said uh, the premier was a micromanager taking uh, a wrecking ball to French immersion, uh, for instance. And now we do have this letter that Dorothy Shepard, who resigned from cabinet, has released on uh, what her experience was in 2021 about the premier's uh, leadership style. Uh, what's your thoughts in reading what she had to say? Well, I had a really good experience working with now former Minister Shepard when I was education minister. She's incredibly hardworking, caring, and just puts everything she has into the job. And I know that letter that she drafted back in 2021 was hard for her to write then. And she was very disappointed that the premier didn't even respond to it. And she wasn't able to talk with the letter about the letter with him for several months. But she raises the same concerns that I did around a year later and are now the same concerns we're hearing expressed by grassroots party leaders. So there's a, a tendency towards autocracy and consolidating power in his office. That is not hugely unusual, sadly. It's why we have democracy. There's a tendency for leaders to try and consolidate power. It's why we need to have political parties and elected officials having the courage of their convictions to be able to push back against that uh, that sort of centralizing direction, especially with a premier who was elected on a promise of depoliticizing and decentralizing government, to see him now abandoning data and evidence in favor of an ideological driven uh, push to the hard right is really unfortunate and again, really goes against the, the values of the progressive conservative party that I'm still happy as a member of that party to support and uphold, whether it's been attacks on French immersion, First Nations, Across the board, there's been a real effort to undermine the independence of the civil service. And those trends are ones that we've seen in other countries lead to really disastrous results for the people in those countries. So why we would want to go down that road, I just don't know. And this most recent effort to target a tiny number of kids who might identify as trans in our school system uh, and to wrap this up in, again, a sort of a culture war package around parents' rights. It's just, it's sad, it's not true, and it's creating real division and harm for kids in our province and for our political system as a whole. Okay, uh, and the Premier has argued that in terms of Policy 713, that he's, spe uh, he's speaking for parents, that it takes uh, resolve to handle tough issues, that caucus isn't always unanimous on these issues, but you know, going forward, how do you think those arguments are going to play uh, within the Progressive Conservative Party as a whole in New Brunswick. Uh, how precarious do you think uh, his position is as premier and as leader? It's, it's up to the party council to decide. They're meeting on Saturday. The agenda, leadership review won't be on the agenda there because it has to. it's 21 days notice period once the letters are collected before something can be put on the agenda. But clearly there's going to be discussion around his leadership. Uh, and 
it'll be up to the caucus to either decide they want to choose someone else to represent the majority party in the legislature, which they can do at any time, and decide that the premier is no longer premier. And he needs to be reminded of that, that we have hundreds of years of democratic tradition that have put safeguards in place against people trying to seize absolute power in a party. And referring back to 713, the irony here is that policy 713 was signed when I, I signed it when I was education minister, the original version. It was fully discussed at caucus. There was uh, a rollout that resulted in precisely zero complaints over two and a half years. The premier is absolutely now getting some folks, most of them not from New Brunswick, but engaging in online rage farming. He's getting a lot of attention from uh, folks who supported the Freedom Convoy, anti-vaxxers, other conspiracy theorists, but also from parents who are legitimately concerned when he talks about parents' rights being eroded. But it's just not true. We're, yeah, the, the way I sum up the issue is that is it true that parents should be involved in every single aspect of their child's lives at school? And the answer to that is yes. Second question, are there some kids who are going to be put at potential risk of harm or even death if parents are involved in discussing their gender identity? And the answer to that is yes. And so the, if you talk about a serious issue, it's not the premier's rage farming and sliding off to an extreme to try and get clicks from uh, American ultra-right wingers. Really grappling a tough issue is taking those the, the answers to those two questions and trying to figure out how you come up with a compromise that protects kids and parents' rights at the same time and not engaging in the hysteria that the premier has intentionally been stoking up because he sees it as being one of his only ho hopes of being able to maintain his position as premier. And I think it's a real uh, abuse of that issue. He's putting the lives and health and safety of people at risk in our province, and he's creating utterly needless division around a sensitive and complicated issue. Trying to reduce anything that's tough and difficult down to a soundbite is nearly always going to lead to bad government. Unfortunately, the premier is becoming an uh, expert in that, if not in very much else. All right, Dominic Hardy, independent MLA in New Brunswick. We have to leave it there, but thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Take care. And that's all for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Andrew Thompson. Thanks for watching.